Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's episode, we talk about breaking fish off on the hook set. We talk about getting ready to go catch big smallmouth up north. And we finish up with our good buddy, Gerald Spore, and he breaks down his favorite ways to catch and cook all different types of game fish. think you guys will really enjoy it and uh, stick around. I see the red dot. There it is. Yeah, it was the one where the guy took, I sent it to <laughs> both of you guys. It was the one where the guy took a computer that was not working. Like a desktop. Filled the tower with black beans and uh, oh, yes. like Goya yes. black beans that you buy at the grocery store. <laughs> dude, <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was so funny, but I, I swear I watched funny, it dude. 10 times at oh, least, yeah. maybe more. The guy's reaction is what makes it. That guy was just acting like, like, every bean was the just something it was just normal in there <laughs> didn't he ridiculous. say he said he had a perfect line for it too he's like well isn't that like the motherboard he's like no yeah. those are beans <laughs> he goes, right. the, yeah this guy comes over and, and this computer repairman freaking out he's like there's beans in here like who put beans in here and he goes aren't those just to cool it down to keep it cool <laughs> he starts pointing out that's the motherboard though right yeah. he goes no this is food this is beans. Oh man, I, I'm Dude, sorry. It makes me think of haven't seen. This oh, for idiots, well, we'll just share the link because you're our Instagram guru. Because that that's funny. I don't know how you do that, but do it. Have you ever seen the one where the guy? Uh, it, it, it's super, super, super old. Teddy Bassmaster, isn't it? The guy is like, would you look at it? Just oh, look yeah, at Bassmaster. It. Classic. Yeah, Love you, that so guy. I think that's what makes the bean video so good. Is that when you have when the when the subject, you know, the guy receiving the laughing is so confused and so serious it's just uh it's it's beautiful it makes you love the internet the the sincerity of that is what's so good yeah it's classic people's reactions um i couldn't keep a straight face i i want to do this to my dad i want to find because he you know you're so mean your dad dad. dude Ah. every time something's broken i just call my dad and he comes and helps me dude so uh i want to just do something like that like i told told my buddy uh mark that I was going to, I've got an old shop vac that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I'm going to fill that sucker up with beans, dude, and have, uh, have my dad come over. <laughs> Can you imagine his reaction? Dude, and a can of black beans is so nasty. Like, that's just gross. <laughs> like, it's like wet and like probably smells weird. Like, it's just gross. It's the perfect thing. Uh, it is. Okay. So before we go in, into the uh, intros, I, I have one more thing I need to tell you guys that happened this morning. Uh, freaked me out like nothing else man we've got like this little outdoor um blow up bounce house for the kids like it's tiny it's just a cheap thing we got off amazon but it takes forever to fill with air like takes forever to fill with air with one of those little pumps and chantelle had pulled one of the plugs uh for some reason last week or the week before so i'm gonna pump this thing back up and let the kids play on it today wash it out well dude i'm pumping it up out, it's, we had stored it outside, and I looked down. I feel something crawling on my uh, finger, on my top of my hand. There was a scorpion crawling across oh, the uh, ah. top of my hand, dude. So I freaked out, as you would imagine. You know, you don't, guys are not scared I am of those things, but uh, yeah, I think I'm throwing that thing away. It's just there's too many little cracks and crevices <laughs> for those things to hide. I'm so glad it didn't happen to one of the kids, you know? Have I can't believe you didn't get stung. Have you found them in your yard before? Yeah, not this year's not too bad, but uh, if you hunt them at night, you'll usually see one or two. It's nothing crazy, but uh, they're around for sure. I'll see them in the garage here and there. One, once, one time in my house. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It freaked me out. We talked about them before on the on the podcast. But um, anyways, moving on. What uh, what's going on with you guys, Rob? Have you been guiding this week? A little bit. Uh, striper fishing's been really good at Pleasant. Largemouth fishing's been pretty good too. So. Um, the stripers are really spotty. If you land on them, you really get them. If you don't, you, it's it's sketchy. I mean, it's hard to catch them if you if you miss that little window of opportunity. Um, which the largemouth have been filling that void. I've been able to catch, uh, you know, take clients and catch some pretty decent largemouth. So that's been fun. So dude, you still like, seeing that punch? Kind of seems like that lake's getting a little revival. It, it's uh, I I always predicted it would never happen. It would. Well, I don't think it'll ever be as good as it was in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. But uh, 
there's a huge population of, of bite size or a little bit bigger uh, gizzard shad, and the stripers are just destroying those and getting big. And I really think it's helping the largemouth population too, just because they're they're obviously the bigger ones are eating the gizzard shad, um, and it's you know leaving some of the thread fin for the for the largemouth. So plus they're eating a bunch of crawdads too. A lot of the a lot of the largemouth we've caught have been uh, have had crawdad pinchers or you know tentacles sticking out of their throats. So pretty cool. Just is that not awesome. just the most classic summer thing? Like just catching catching largemouth on the bottom and. 10 to 25 feet of water with crawfish sticking out of their throat. It's like summer. Yeah, it's it's just so, summer. so awesome. Yep. Yeah, I love that. So. Watermelon and fireworks, right? It's just as summer as it gets. Yep. Rob, are you yep. still seeing that uh, National Geographic level of like gizzard shads getting ripped in half and like just the carnage that you're telling me about, or is that dying down some? It's spotty. Like, like if you run into it, it's, it's just phenomenal. If you, if you miss it, you feel like there's not a fish in the, in that entire area. So it's, uh, um, it's real spotty. I mean, all I can say is to look for the birds and, and it's almost like a saltwater scene. I mean, you're really, really looking for birds. And, and again, it like, it only lasts for a short period of time. It could, you know, you could get there and, um, catch them in the first hour, or you could, you know, not find anything for an hour and all of a sudden catch them for the next hour but it just doesn't last very long but yeah when it when you get on it it's it was so much fun so that's cool, cool man that's cool and nick you've been uh you've been out a little bit yourself dude what uh how'd your trip go you went in like the 100 100 plus degree heat the other day yeah snuck out one time and uh you know i just like to do things the the, the harder way um, and the non-conventional slash non-successful way. But it was cool. I took my kids uh, to our little lake up the street, uh, Saguaro, and uh, sucked, struggled, um, got sunburned. My hat, my damn hat blew off on the first run of the day. And it just kind of <laughs> set kind of set the tone because I, I didn't find it. And so, dude, the rest of the day I'm wearing my five-year-old son's like floppy bucket hat. Cause I was like, I'm, you know, I'm trying not to get summer and I got my face gator up as far it had a good time. The best I would do have, say, uh, do we have photos of that hat by chance? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. My, uh, my frail ego could not withstand that. No, I, I should have, because it was, it was laughable, but it was so dang hot, dude. It was like 107, 108 in the oh. sun, you know, it's, it's 3 PM. So the UV index is like 21 million. So it's like, I probably need something to protect my forehead, cul-de-sacs, and bald spot on the back. I need anything. But uh, what they did, just, I, I, don't know, I don't have any stories of cool catching, so I should just talk about my kids. But one thing that is so funny, my five-year-old son, he's like a bloodhound in the bottom of the boat, just finding weird, nasty stuff. And dude, he came up with this tube underneath the steering column, like down underneath the console. Dude, this is like, it started out as a white tube. I'm sure, you know, some bed fishing trip with the previous owner. Dude, he comes up with the nastiest, like, brownish, blackish, like, mushed up tube. Dude, he's still playing with that damn thing. He calls it his oh. octopus. And oh, he's playing with it and playing with it, dude. He, he's, like, scaring his sister with it. Like, he loves the, and I, I keep waiting for my wife to throw it away because it shows up. And, like, I say, like, that's going in the trash this time. And then he, he scoops it up, dude, and he's still playing with it. So, you know, everyone had a good time despite the... The fact I got, I got three bites. I didn't get to fish a bunch because my kids wanted to swim and we were just chilling. But I, uh, I don't want to just jump right into technical stuff. But since I have you guys to just bend your ear and ask questions, I want to dig a little deeper into a uh, Carolina rig fishing if we could momentarily after we do our intros. But uh, I got three bites and uh, I caught one and it was, it was a dink. It should have came home in the aquarium. But I'm pretty sure I missed two other fish that were a lot bigger and I broke them off on the hook set. And, uh, oh, there's nothing more frustrating than that, man. <laughs> For sure. That's a terrible feeling. Just yeah, because I, you know it was probably a solid fish and uh, you never really gave yourself a chance. Yeah. Where was exactly. the line? Where'd your line break? I mean, that's not a common issue with a rig. Well, I think, dude, I was I was ghetto rigging it, dude. I had 12 pound test as my leader. And so I snapped that's it off right. of the swivel. But I do that a lot. I do 12 quite often, 12 or 15, but. I, mean, I don't know. I used to work out a few years ago, so I'm thinking maybe, you know, my thorax is just so swole yeah. that I just, I swole. I don't know, dude. I freaking suck is all I know. And one of them, you know, it's at the end of the day, you got that desperation going where it's like, I finally have another window where 
they're eating snacks and they're distracted and I'm on the spot and I make the cast and you know, you're ticking through the rock and everything's feeling so good. And then you get that like heavy pressure and you're like, oh yeah, I'm about to catch like five, six pounds. It's going to be it. I swing bad and I break off and my, you know, I get all pissed and I'm mad about five feet to the right of me. One of those dang surfing wakeboard uh, apocalyptic boats went by like 15 feet from me. <laughs> so I'm like in the process of coming unglued on breaking off. And dude, I took like four waves right over the bow. My kids are like, oh. this is so awesome. We're surfing. And I'm just like swimming on the front deck. I mean, we had some less than glamorous moments for sure. And, you know, they're going by like listening to Nickelback or something like hooting and hollering. And I wanted to like snap my rod over my knee and <laughs> fall off and drown. <laughs> dude, they, yeah, they need to social distance with the wakeboard boats. I dude, I, I saw no masks and they were close enough if they would have sneezed it would have got me yeah that's yeah it was classic if you can cast to them they're way too close dude and is that spot in the snags where you're right on that channel swing so i mean you might as well just sit there with a target on your back yep that's not a good spot for wakeboard boats it's terrible so that's a i was sitting there with a, a guide client the last time i fished there uh a few weeks ago and all of a sudden a boat is coming right at us you know that feeling like when you, you just all of a sudden like start waving yeah and it was a entire family in this boat and the like 12 year old daughter <laughs> driving the boat and the dad was like the dad was looking down like dinking around doing something texting and then finally <laughs> finally he looks up and he's like oh honey we need to like my goodness. hard left hard yeah. left <laughs> yeah it was uh, a little too close for comfort for sure but yeah whatever. It's all good. we have to so share it i guess so. yeah what's up with you josh what's the uh what's the latest with you man uh not too much here man other than scorpion i'm getting ready to go to a tournament tomorrow uh up in sturgeon bay the last major league fishing tournament bass pro tour of the year uh but uh before we go into that let's just while we're talking the carolina rig here let's okay, just cool. talk real quick about why your line probably a couple reasons why it could have broke and, uh, you know, I, I definitely, I guess I get what Rob's saying was, you know, sometimes he'll use 12, um, and you could totally do that, but you got to You've got to match everything up together. The whole like rod and reel and hook set and, yeah. and engage hook. Everything's got to be, got to be right. If you're going to throw a 12 pound test, because if you do, if you, if, if a six pounder grabs it and you have 12 pound line and you're throwing it on the same rod that you throw like 17 on and you make a Hercules hook set, it's breaking every time. Yeah. Uh, so if you use 12, you've got to use a little bit lighter action rod, maybe a medium heavy, definitely not a heavy, uh, <laughs> Which I a was. little bit, you know, and, and the longer your leader too, uh, yeah. I think less likely it is to break. Do you agree, Rob? And that's not the, the reason why you would use a long leader, but you've got to remember the shorter your leader, the less your lines are going to stretch and the, the harder it is for it to take that impact. It's going to snap before it stretches. Uh, right. so, you know, you've got to just keep that in mind when you, when you set the hook. Yeah, I agree so, with that 100%. so you're saying it's less likely all the pushups I did two years ago causing the break than it was that I had a <laughs> flipping stick, 60 pound braid to a 12 pound leader. You're thinking that you weren't really using a braid. Where are you? Nick? I'm messing with you. Oh, come on. I'm totally oh. playing with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Both of us That's are like, duh. <laughs> oh, uh, I just That's need anyone to wake over there. And who knows, dude, I'll tell you one other thing, too, because I, I have, dude, I mean, I, you know, back in the day, dude, and I still do it here and there, but I'd break fish off on the hook set and it'd piss you off, you know? Oh, and oh, yeah. uh, One thing I did that helped me a lot, too, was getting away from a Palomar knot on a lot of uh, baits okay. where you do that really hard snap hook set, like a San Diego jam knot. And it sounds funny, but even in like a, a trilene knot, dude, they handle a hard hook set a lot better than a Palomar. So if you're okay. throwing something like a crankbait where you just pull into the fish, the Palomar is fast, easy, reliable. But if it's a jig or a Carolina rig or a Texas rig and, and you're rearing back and setting the hook, uh, the Palomar knot to me snaps a lot easier. Okay, cool. Good to know. What do you, what do you guys tie? Like what? Do you, I tie, I, mean, a, I tie a trialing knot, improved clinch Okay. Knot. Right on. And don't worry. I was tying Palomars. So I'm over here taking notes. There's no way. Yeah. To I mean, that's just Palomar on a Carolina rig though. Is there? Oh, no, I pieced it together. Yeah, so I, I did the leader first, and then the main right. line. Yeah, it was it was it felt left-handed. I won't lie. I had no hat, right? I was Nickelback was blaring. Things were going awry fast. All right. All right. I guess if you do it in the right order, you could. 
that's how I do it. I that guess way. so. Yeah, guess that's so. funny. But yeah, it's, it, you're kind of uh, making it a little harder than it has to be. Um, so today in the show, we've got a pretty cool guest. We've got my buddy Gerald Spore, and we'll we'll turn it over to him in a little bit. But uh, just wanted to mention we've got him. Before we send it over to him, uh, one quick note on our last show, we were talking about how the fish were chasing those tiny, tiny bait fish uh, on your guide trips, Rob, and on Nick's yep. uh, trips out to the lake. One of our uh, loyal listeners, Monty Wright is his name on Instagram. I think that's his real name, too. Um, he sent us a message and sent several pictures of several toads that he caught out of a big fish lake that doesn't have super clear water, Lake Conroe in Texas, on a yep. crappie jig. Nice. At night. Uh, <laughs> pretty crazy dude it's it's uh and during the day also but uh he just uh he wanted to send that over and say look man look at the damage i'm doing on this little tiny bait you know and he's a he's a solid bass fisherman he generally uses bass tackle but um those fish are really liking that little presentation it's it's crazy yeah congrats to him that's got to be probably those fish are feeding on small bait then huh probably so right that's got to be what it is they're tuned in Yeah. That's what I see at Pleasant. What's weird is the, the gizzards are big and a lot of the thread fin are super small or they're super small gizzards, I guess, is the possibility also. But kind of nothing in between. So they'll they'll match the hatch, right? Yep. yep. Got to throw what they're something that looks like what they're eating for sure. So that was pretty cool. And um, our so we're still kind of going through these lists we talked about last week. We talked about the top five uh, TV shows that that we've got or have seen um, of all time. This week we talked about doing fishing excuses. So I don't think we need to go like take take this forever, but um, there are a couple, I was thinking about it and I thought of a couple pretty silly funny ones that myself I've used and I've heard used before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know you guys have a few too. So let's try to go with the top five, just the funniest, funniest fishing excuses that anglers use after a tough day on the water. You guys good with that? Yeah. Yes, for sure. Do you guys have one you want to start with, or do you want me to get the so, ball rolling? My favorite is uh, the wind's blowing too hard, or the complete opposite, the wind's not blowing at all. Mm. One or the or other, the right? Sun, the sun's out, or or it's too cloudy. The, right? the damn it's weather. Like, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. The weather, but it's like you always, when it's windy, you want it to be calm, and when it's calm, you want it to be windy, and yeah, it just never it never ends the grass is always greener on the other side man it's always. classic yeah yeah it's totally right uh, that was my first one i wrote down too right um okay how about how about uh i love when guys literally they i've done this before dude they use the phrase the fish are confused. The fish don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, like sometimes you get weird situations out there where it's cold, get weird weather. And then the anglers, and I've, I've said it myself, I'm like, dude, these fish just don't know what to do. They're confused. And I think the more you look at it unbiased, I think we are. They, the they know damn well what to do. Yeah. yeah. They're sitting down there breathing, hanging out. I, th- I think in defense of the fishermen, I think what they mean is there's probably fish in every transition, right? Yeah. Or yeah. In every, in every situation. I mean, when, when's the best bite on the lake when all the fish are doing the same thing and you're in that zone, right? Good point. So, I, I, yeah, I'm going to defend the fishermen. I just can't say, look at Freaking Saul Goodman, the defense attorney over there. Nicely done, Rob. That's pretty good. You might have a career on the back of a phone book. It sounds like Probably a not, salty but... uh, tournament fisherman yeah. guy that's been doing yeah. it for a long time and has said that before, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Probably have. Uh, yeah. Dude, I love uh, it yeah. when it's like stuff that went wrong, like, like you should have been here, you know, yesterday was different or last week was different. I, I love those ones too. That's definitely one I've used. That's why it's oh, so I use risky. It all the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's true. But, and that's why it's it so risky true. when you're on a guide trip or just any time you take someone fishing, it's risky to like, tell them that it's going to be good because uh, right. no matter how good it was yesterday, it could be a completely different story for oh, no reason. Man. Well, cause so the fish many, are confused. So <laughs> many clients tell me like, they're always like, you'll have a guy that shows up and he's like, yeah, I'm the guy that should have been here yesterday. Like uh, he's just that guy. He always misses it. Right. So I really have a hard time. I try not to tell people if we caught him good or bad or, I just tell them we're going to go out and try our hardest and see what happens. But, so yeah. I just had a thought. I'm going to, when I have a little bit more time, I'm going to develop the hobby. I'm going to go to the lakes 
I'm going to figure out, follow the AZ Fishing Guides page or something and figure <laughs> out where you guys are going to be. Dude, I'm going to totally walk down the dock like 10 minutes before first live. Be like, damn, the bite is off the chain. Yesterday, it was so good. You guys, who guy. you with? Who you with? Oh, Rob. Oh, you guys are going to catch him. And then just walk away, <laughs> get it back in my truck and drive home. <laughs> I have a funny story about that, dude. I have literally avoided people that I know on the lake. Like, oh, I bet. Let's say, <laughs> let's say it's just an average day or we're struggling and I know someone's catching them or like I know they're going to say they were catching them. Doesn't even mean they were catching Drive them. Drive the other way. Have them reel oh, up fast. <laughs> yeah, because I've had it happen. I've had it happen a couple times. It's There's nothing worse. It's the biggest kick in the shins you could ever do, man. That Anyone listening that wants to mess with their friends who are guides, just go up there and, and big time before Please. a trip starts. Please don't advertise that, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) It would be funny. It's hilarious. Uh, But Um, then you could use the excuses. And we've got plenty. Uh, (laughs) Here's another one, dude. Here's another one. Um, And this is really popular in the tournament fishing circles is where you just blame the lake in general, dude. You know, have you ever seen a place like this where you can catch, you know, I had a guy uh, at a tournament at our Toho tournament that was in the event, um, it struggled the first day and he goes, have you ever seen a lake where you can catch 40 fish and not one of them's a keeper? And uh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude, all the time, <laughs> you know, but, I'm but Hey, so- that's an, ex- that's gotta be an exaggeration too, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, not- for sure. Well, Especially yeah. Toho. Right. It's unlikely that he caught 40 fish and not a two pounder. Very unlikely, right. but he's blaming the lake, dude. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, there's, there were, 20 guys who absolutely caught giants that day you know what yeah. i mean yeah uh, so it, it, he didn't say like i didn't figure them out it's just no dude it's the lake bro um yeah. and that's what they, that's, that's what you, guys do <laughs> can you believe a fisherman caught 40 fish and didn't catch one over two pounds you should have blamed it on him right yeah well i mean that's, right that's on him <laughs> yeah it's funny i should have said that i'm not quick enough uh <laughs> but blaming the lake and you hear it all the time dude like you know, leading up to the tournament, it's tough. This lake's fishing tough. It's tough. And, uh, it was kind of like an aha moment for me. I saw a ranking of the top 25, uh, lakes of all time, uh, or not, not of all time of the last 10 years this week, it was circulating around the internet. And, uh, I, I had fished and this is not to brag, but I had fished in tournaments like 22 or 21 or 22 of them. And, in, in, you know, in the last 10 years, and you sit there and think about that. And we're out there literally acting like we're on these tough lakes and it's terrible. And it's like, no, these lakes are the top 25 lakes in the nation. <laughs> these yeah. are the best bass lakes to go bass fishing. And uh, as fishermen, we we always have like something to complain about and, and, and excuses on why we're not catching fish. Yeah, it's kind of deflating to that whole uh, persona, right? When you think of it in that context. For sure, for sure. But uh uh, any others, guys? You guys have any others off the top of your head? Yeah, I don't know, man. I think it's just like the intrinsic quality of a fisherman. We don't usually take ownership very well, right? So it's just like insert, you know, defense mechanism, excuse, reason here, and move on with your life. <laughs> That's funny. My it newest, is human nature. My newest excuse is it's uh, COVID. Yes. Oh. That's why they're not biting. Well, do they have masks on? Right. Right. <laughs> That is an excuse that a lot of people in a lot of different industries are using for why things aren't getting done. So we may as well just add it. Yeah, no kidding. That, world, huh? that is the new 2020 response. Yes, that's just what it was, man. Change I mean, it all. Sorry, I haven't been in touch, but you know, COVID. COVID. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> caught him good last week, but you know, this week, COVID. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's good on those. Um, and, you know, we, we have an awesome interview with Gerald um, before we roll it over to him just to give a little bit of a background on him. He uh, he's got he's got a really interesting kind of life story. He's done a lot, been a lot of places. He was in the military, uh, lived all over the country, worked all over the world. And um, he talks a little bit about in the interview about how how hard you know he had to work early in his fishing career. And it was it wasn't any different in any of his other uh, avenues in life. But um He's a great guy. He's he's been a really successful professional fisherman since turning pro and I think 2014 he fishes Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour now. And uh, one of the one of the cool things about him is he's from the south. He's from Louisiana and uh, he loves to cook. And that's what a lot of the interviews about. We ask him some questions on 
on on preparing fresh water and saltwater fish, some of the different things he does, some of his favorite things to eat. And um, I don't know, I thought it was pretty cool. You guys, did you guys enjoy talking to him? It was awesome. You know, I I'm jealous of him having the the lifestyle like they have in Louisiana, where they just kind of hang out at their buddy's house and cook and just you know that's uh i guess that's ultimately what we're doing with a podcast hanging out and talking but it's pretty cool that they're able to do that on a, you know he just grew up that way just normal yeah. normal deal for him so pretty cool that's something i love about the south man the outdoors are so like ingrained and not that they're not out here in the west maybe it's because i grew up in phoenix where it's just a big city but everyone i've ever met from the south it seems like that's just such a big part of the you know, it's just the lifestyle there is, is it, I love the fact that what do you want for dinner? Oh, I don't know. Let's just go freaking catch something when you live on the coast like that. It's, it's cool. I admire it. I need to get moving. It is awesome. And, and, you know, we have opportunities out West, but yeah, they've just got so much from fresh to salt and fishing and hunting. And, uh, you know, you guys should see his freezer literally you're talking about what should we have for dinner, but they've got, they've got this awesome system. I should have asked him about it in the podcast, but they've got so much wild game and so many different types of fish in their big deep freezer that they have a whiteboard next to the catalog and yeah they, they've got you know whatever uh you know deer sausage uh you know deer back straps uh whatever it is you know uh, whatever type of fish crappie uh blah 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 but they've got little little uh for every pound of it they've got a little mark and you know you pull one out of the freezer you erase the mark and then they know okay we're mark. getting down we're only we're down to five pounds of this we better uh, go go get some more you know pretty pretty cool and you're not wasting yeah, it too awesome. right that's that's cool that's well, yeah yeah they know when they have a surplus they know how long it's been in mm-hmm. there so they don't ever have mm-hmm. anything that's sitting in the freezer for three years and goes bad you know yeah you know that's one thing as someone who's been catch and release pretty much my entire life i love eating fish and uh, i always feel like and i'm not i'm not an avid hunter but i feel like if i am going to keep something or like if i was going to shoot something i have to use it right? Like I have oh, to yeah. consume it. Like yep. if, if I caught a fish or shot something and it went bad in my freezer, I would legitimately feel like I've done a wrong, right? You know what I mean? Like as someone who just takes that seriously, I really, that's a great idea having that inventory on the whiteboard like that. I thought it was cool. How long will an elk last, Rob? Like when you guys get an elk, dude, will you eat it all year or is it gone you know, after a few months? No, we'll eat on it all year. Um, we've done some damage on Boyd's elk though we've eaten a ton of it so if we ever get past this uh remote podcasting i'll bring you guys some but again what's but covid dude is that why you also have a beard covid covid yeah yeah i was preparing like five years prior Dude, Rob just single-handedly made the greatest observation on the best excuse now and going forward of all time. Ten years from now, we'll still be able to say COVID, dude. I mean, it was like I was on my jam and then COVID. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, I was on the way to the moon, man. Uh, (laughs) Podcast title. Check. All right. Send us over to Gerald. Bring us home, Josh. All right. Hope you guys enjoy. So you want me to tell this story? Dude, hey, let's start right now, Gerald. So we just started recording. I, I teed Gerald up. He started telling the story, and I had to stop him because we weren't recording. So uh, we introduced him just a second ago in the intro, so we'll save all that for later. But let's hear this story before we start rolling. Give us the background and, and tell us, you know, this is from Gerald earlier in his fishing career. Yeah, so I, I feel like um, whenever we all probably started our fishing careers, you work the absolute hardest in the beginning. And I have to remind myself all the time what I would do to try to do good in the tournament. And I felt like I was willing to do anything. It didn't matter what it was. And um, I remember early on, like the first year I started fishing tournaments and I went to Red River and I had a bunch of Cajun buddies and stuff and they kind of taught me a little bit of stuff. So I had the whole mindset of, you can only win a tournament is if you can just get somewhere else that no one else can. And so during practice, I would always spend my practice trying to figure out how to get in some hole or some backwater that I would have to myself. And it would be just full of fish. It was like the dream idea of getting back there and you just easily catch 20 pounds a day and win a tournament. So I did find this one hole and um, it had a sandbar in front of it. And it had some history before the sandbar was a little easy to get in and out of it. And I remember 
getting up to it and walking out the sandbar and just thinking, man, there's no way because you had to come out of the locks of Red River and then you had to go into this little ditch and then the, the ditch made this little S turn and then you had to make this 90 degree turn and go over the sandbar. And if you, How deep is the sandbar, dude? Uh, the top of it, if I was standing on it, the water would not go over my feet. <laughs> Pretty shallow. And how wide is the sandbar? Uh, it was probably, you probably had to run, uh, that the real high spot was about 20 yards, but the entire sandbar was probably at least 40 yards. <laughs> where, yeah. And so you're coming out of a curve and everyone knows that when you're coming out of a curve, you need your motor in the water for steering. But as soon as you turn that corner, you have to be coming up on the jack plate and the trim at the same time. And you only have probably 30 yards to get that jack plate and trim up just enough to where you can just jump it. This way. <laughs> it was the hardest sandbar I've ever ran over in my life. It's not just skin it back and send it and just go over one straight. That's no big deal. This was this little turn I had to do and then get over the sandbar. So it took a ton of practice. And so I, I went up there in practice early and I practiced going across the sandbar. The <laughs> lower least, unit did not thank you later, dude. Ten times. I went up there with a little aluminum boat first and I just okay. kept getting stuck. Kept getting stuck. Kept getting stuck. And um, I brought some friends up there. I had some friends that were willing to volunteer to help me push a boat off continuously off a sandbar. And it, I was like, man, it wasn't, I knew exactly where I was supposed to go over the sandbar, but learning how to set myself up in the two or three S turns to hit it was the hard part. And so I, that's what I had to practice that part of lining up and, and hitting that little spot. And I would mark myself sticks on the, on the one little spot that had a couple more inches on it. And I would have to basically run over the sticks. And that was, it wasn't just run next to the sticks. I would run over the sticks to get in there and so I practiced it a whole bunch of times and uh, was ready for it. And I even took a, I went to the hardware store and I bought a yardstick and it was a way to drive to the back end of this octobow and put a yardstick in the water. And I knew exactly by the inch what it would take to possibly get in there. So that morning, the first morning of the tournament, uh, I went down there with a flashlight and I crawled down the snake infested bank and um, remember in the looking dark? at the yardstick. Huh? In the middle of the night? Before the tournament started, yeah, like five in the morning, I went down there and I shined a flashlight on this yardstick and it was two inches lower than what the minimum was. I said, there's no way I'm not even going to try it. And I knew what the deal was. They had a bunch of rain coming. The lockmaster had dumped that pool the night before anticipating that rain. And um, I remember calling the lot master and begging him to stop releasing water. And he said, oh, man, my bad. He did. <laughs> oh, it just, it just no didn't. way. Yeah, it didn't recover in time. So that next morning, I knew better than to even try it. And I didn't go in there. And uh, and I didn't have a good day that first day. And I remember everyone talking at the weigh-in about some other guys tried it in like a Skeeter or something. They were stuck there all day long. Huh. And I was like, nobody can do to can run in that hole besides me because I got tons of practice. And so I know some guy that just tried it on a whim. There's no way. He wasn't, he wasn't going to get that lucky. And then the next day I went down there again, I shined it and it was there. The water level had recovered. And so the next day I went in there and I was so far behind in the tournament. Uh, but I went in there and we caught him so good, me and my co-angler, that uh, we ended up jumping the guy. The, I ended up making it to nationals in the Federation by one ounce. I went all the yeah. way, even being possible awesome. to jump in there by one ounce. And I still have the push pole today. I used to j jam my push pole behind the boat and pry it like this to try to get the boat off the sandbar. And uh, it's all bent up and stuff. And I got it and it's hanging in my shop. And I look at it all the time to remind myself how hard you have to work in bass tournaments sometimes and uh, what I used to do to try to do good in a tournament. Man, I used to work my butt off. <laughs> I bet you still do, man. Oh, he yeah. totally does. But that is cool, dude, to, to break in and to get that. That was like your first big break in, in fish tournament fishing probably, right? And to get that break, dude, it, it takes something superhuman like that to, to do it sometimes. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the, and the ironic thing is I didn't even get to go to Nationals the next year because I couldn't get vacation from work. Oh, perfect. <laughs> what I mean, a horrible way to end that story, dude. Yeah, well, that was just part of the process of working and fishing back in the day whenever it was just trying to juggle four weeks of vacation and trying to fish opens and federation and all that stuff. It's just sometimes you just couldn't make it all happen. Yeah. Right on. Well, dude, yeah, left to be quit now. my job. Well, that's why I quit my job. It's just I got all the vacation I want now. <laughs> I like it. You got a you got a much better job now, man. Um, yeah. And I told yeah. these guys, you've told it on a bunch of podcasts, but I told these guys that Gerald actually went and worked in Kuwait his first year. I told Rob, I think I didn't tell you, Nick. He worked in Kuwait for the uh, winter leading up to his first year on the elites, just to just to save up some money and not have to worry about work when he actually got on on the tour man so he's he sacrificed a lot to get where he is um but what we really want to talk to you about gerald here of course we want we want to to talk fishing but you're probably the best chef i've ever met honestly dude as far as like (laughs) cooking uh stuff you know wild game and fish and stuff dude it is unbelievable uh what you do with food and Nick was actually just fishing over at uh, one of our lakes last week and caught a bunch of striper and cooked them up. And it kind of made me think it might be kind of cool to get you on here and, and talk a little Cajun cooking. Um, yeah. And, and so, and hey, the, oh, go ahead. Josh, can I, can I interrupt? Is Yeah. My screen is just freaking out. Are your guys' screens going crazy? No, we hear you, but okay. we don't see you, Rob. Okay, so something's going on with my connection. Let me try to... Sorry about that, guys. Hey, it's all right. 5G conspiracy towers, Rob. You're probably yeah, getting radiation. Called, someone called me, and I... Yeah, anyhow, it's it's all messed up, so... As long as you can hear us... Uh, yeah, we can okay, hear you, but don't, don't worry about it. High yeah. budget here, so... Yeah, two cents. We're right good. On, We're not okay, even going to edit this out, either. Um, right <laughs> on. Well, no worries, but... So, Gerald... And Gerald's recently got into saltwater fishing, too. So, you're nice. doing it all, dude, but... Uh, Gerald, my first question is, if you had, like, one Cajun meal for someone who's never had Cajun food to get, to get like, hooked on Cajun food, what would that what would that be, man? That's an easy one. I've cooked it for y'all several several times. It's uh, fried fish with crawfish etouffee on top Ooh. of it. It's amazing. You guys <laughs> yeah, take a guess. Good. Take a guess at what type of fish he fried underneath the crawfish uh, last time we had it. <laughs> Large, large uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Ding. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, dude. Right Where on. did you catch those, Gerald? Well, usually, um, and so when it comes to reservoirs and all that stuff, I use I don't keep fish usually, but um, down in Venice, Louisiana, the south end where the Mississippi River dumps into the Gulf of Mexico, it's infested with bass, and I'll go down there and keep some every now and then, and and. Cause and they're different tasting bass. Those bass are basically brackish water, so they eat shrimp and crabs and stuff like that. So they they're really really good. Oh, so I, I don't mind feeding people venice bass. <laughs> Dude, I remember as a kid, I was maybe like nine ten years old. My family took me on a trip to uh, Central Florida. These guys always tease me because it was called the Withlacoochee River, and they're like, "There's no such thing as that," but Wikipedia proved that there is. There but is. Uh, dude, we we uh we slayed them you know we used uh shiners we had a little guy in a john boat and we took them all back and fried them up and i will second i haven't had largemouth bass in a long time but that was like hands down and those weren't even brackish water fish eating that other stuff i can't imagine how good those taste yeah yeah they taste a lot like crappie okay you know what i mean it's just real they seem flakier the meat seems cleaner uh the water is always cooler coming out of the mississippi river it's just all around just a better good stuff that's, that's cool man you you definitely could have sold them as crappie when we had them for sure yeah 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 but that well, etouffee on top god dang dude it's it's well, so you, good i you could fry just about any fish you can do it with striper stuff if you learn how to make some sort of etouffee and you can make etouffee with shrimp or crawfish if you, which everyone can get shrimp but crawfish gets a little be a little trickier uh, but if you can just Google a basic etouffee recipe, you can fry any kind of fish you want and just pour the etouffee over the top of the fried fish. And you don't want to, you want to serve it immediately. You want to keep your etouffee separate and your fried fish separate. And that way, 
your fried fish, you want to kind of crisp it up a little more than normal. That way, when you put your etouffee on top, it just doesn't get soggy, you know. So you want to you want to serve it right away, eat it right away, and it's really good. So for the Western anglers like us, we could actually do it with stripers and shrimp. Yeah, you can get some shrimp. You can Google a basic etouffee recipe, and you can do it with any fish you want, catfish, striper. Dude, let's unpackage that etouffee just a little bit. Is it like a – so it, it's kind of like a heavier cream sauce, right? You do you make like a roux with butter and flour, and then like just give us the, the tiny rundown. I mean, we could Google it, but I'm curious to hear kind of what you got going on with that. Yeah, so you uh, you can make a basic roux is kind of a more traditional way to make it. That'd be the more from scratch way. But a cheat way, I'll tell everyone, is you could just saute some uh, – some vegetables like onions and mushrooms and um, bell peppers and you can put a little bit like a can of cream of mushroom soup and some white wine in it and uh and let that cook down like a sauce and then um and then you can add like a little bit of rotel to it to add some uh, red color to it and then uh that that'll make like a cheating version of a etouffee heck yeah man hey 30 minute meals right all about simplifying in this life yeah, actually, the cheating one's kind of, I, I like it a little bit better. <laughs> really? Okay. No way, Time, man. Well, yeah. dude, then. It's really the good. Uh, it's, it, it is really good. That cream of mushroom soup just mixed with seafood and stuff like that and poured over the fish is good. Yeah, so, nice, man. You're typically, uh, you're putting rice, you're pouring this over rice too, right? Yeah. Like so, white rice generally? You, you don't have to. That's optional. But, uh, yeah, I'll cook some white rice and I'll put the fish on top of the white rice and then pour the etouffee on top of the fish. Or you could pour the etouffee right on top of the white rice and then put the fish on top of that. So it just depends how you want it. Nice. Can't go Gerald, wrong with it. Yeah. Gerald, where did, where did you learn how to cook? Well, in South Louisiana, we kind of that's kind of like our fun thing to do. We cook at a lot of tailgates. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go to Tiger Stadium for a football game in Death yep. Valley, uh, it's just nothing but cooking and drinking all day long. And and that's just kind of our, our lifestyle down here. Most of the men yep. do most of the cooking. Uh, it's nothing like getting a 10-gallon pot and going standing around it and everyone drinking beer and just taking turns stirring the pot and <laughs> and it's just what we we all we do around here. It's just our our culture. That's awesome. We uh we went down to Baton Rouge for the baseball regionals last May, and we were able to eat a bunch of crawfish and and enjoy the the ways of Louisiana. It was pretty cool. Oh yeah, yeah. We're a real big baseball community too. Yep. Yep. The Cajuns are. And Cajun is that's that's a that's a good thing to be called a Cajun, right? What's the deal? You're a Cajun below I-10 and uh, north of I-10, you're a redneck. Is that what everyone says? Or that's what the people <laughs> below I-10 say? Yeah, if you look at a map, I-10 goes across the south of Louisiana. So for, to be certified Cajun, you have to be south of I-10, and then everything north of I-10 we call Arkansas. That's fine. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> I, I don't mean that in any bad way at all. It's totally a joke that I've heard a couple of times. But uh, dude, Cajuns are like the most hospitable people on the entire planet. It's unbelievable how many different instances I've just been blown away with. Um, how how Cajuns just want to want to feed you, want to hang out with you, want to just take care of you. you. Guys are you guys are just the best, man. Oh yeah, we're uh, we're we're people persons. Or person, people's, whatever. But uh, but yeah, we, we, we love hanging around people. It's just the way we were raised. Um, I like having a day by myself, but every, I mean, not very often. Usually if I had a day by myself, the next day I'm trying to get a group together to go do something. We're going offshore fishing. We're going to cook something. We're always inviting everyone over. So there'll be 20 people underneath my carport watching a football game, and I'll just sit there and cook a huge spread for everyone and then the next guy will do it uh, at his house the next weekend. So always it's always awesome drinking and hanging out. That's fun. So since you got this saltwater boat, man, what's been your favorite uh, fish to eat out of the ocean? Well, we, you know, we've stepped our game up on the cooking. We we've always just done just basic traditional um, cooking fish and just throwing them on the grill or uh, cooking an etouffee and and or frying it. But lately, me and Maggie have gotten more into 
the fine dining side of fish. And Ooh. so, yeah, we've been, we, we started a, a, a Instagram page called eat, drink fish. And it's all about us traveling all over the country, eating at different restaurants, getting different cocktails and talking about our experience, showing food pictures and things like that. And, um, and so we've been meeting a lot of different chefs and they've been teaching us all these different ways to cook fish and stuff. So we've been trying it when we learn something. The first thing we do is we come home and we cook it to see, to try to remember it. And if we like it, we have a menu that we have at home that we'll write it all down and document it. And then we'll redo it every now and then. But since we got into the saltwater fishing and we started learning the fine dining side of, of how to cook fish, uh, we've been trying to target certain species one of our new favorite one that we catch offshore is called a scamp grouper oh and uh if you google scamp grouper so there's like 400 different kinds of grouper but a yeah scamp is considered one of the one of the, the the most like if you'd go buy it in the store from whole foods or something it'd be the most expensive piece of grouper you can buy oh uh-huh. yeah it, it's like uh probably gonna be between 20 and 30 bucks a pound um and when you catch them they're not very big they're only i don't know about as big as a six pound smallmouth. <laughs> easy to catch or hard to catch they're easy to catch but they're harder to find because they live in smaller groups but they'll live on reefs and things like that but their meat is almost like crab meat it's uh it's uh. really really flaky and white and and so that's our new favorite fish to to eat is the scamp grouper and then we get real deep and we'll start catching, uh, well, you know, I'm sure everyone, if you go down to a Florida restaurant or something, you hear about tile fish. Yeah. Um, you know, it does, you catch those in like 1,500 foot of water. So the deeper <laughs> are the, the better they usually taste. Really? 1,500 feet, you said? Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. How Dude, heavy what? of a weight are you using there? What do you, yeah. How do you catch those fish? We usually use a, a 8 to 10 pound weight. <laughs> my goodness <laughs> and how big and how are these big... tile fish yeah uh the golden tiles they're they're um a golden tile fish you know they're probably anywhere between 10 and 20 pounds wow. same size even, of the yeah. weight yeah do you yeah. even feel them fight with that big weight on there or not well you, all those fish are caught on electric reels we use we okay we, we have uh 12 volt electric reels they'll drop down and you'll you'll reel them up that's, they call that deep dropping. It's, it's something I, I'm personally not equipped yet for, but it's it's very popular and uh, it's just everything's so expensive. Just the reel, the electric reel that I want to get for deep dropping is eight thousand dollars. What? Wow. I'm just I'm saving my money right now before I can get in. But everything you catch that deep is phenomenal. How how good it tastes. Ah. Uh. Swordfish. Sword fishing is a big deal with those electric reels. I wonder just how long it would take to just like, just to reel it. Like, can you do it without an electric reel or is it just an absolute must? Yeah, you can do it without an electric reel, but you only do it once. (laughs) (laughs) Wondering, I'm just like wondering how miserable it would be to to reel a fish up from 1,500 feet, dude. Yeah, you know, drop it with a with an eight to ten pound weight on the end of it, and (laughs) and then you got a 30 foot leader with uh with hand tied squids on there and stuff. I mean, yeah. So if you drop it all the way down, you get a little nibble, and you're like, well, I wonder if he took my bait. (laughs) So you got to reel all the way back up. Jacket. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, a special. Are, are those are those fish dead when they get to the boat? No. No. Are they nope. are they blowing up though? Or it's a big thing uh, when you get them up to the surface. They've never seen daylight before, so like a swordfish, a lot of times whenever he gets a glimpse of light, he'll just he'll jump. He'll he'll really? all of a sudden just shoot to the surface and jump, and um. And then, but it's a big thing to tag these fish and release them as well. Interesting. Have you caught any tagged ones? No, no. The, the deep no. dropping thing is not something that I've been able to do a lot of yet because I don't have the equipment. Okay. Um, right. It's it's something. Um, but but those those fish, those species, and everything is is all the delicacies, and uh, and we've we've had the chance of eating it for sure. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Very cool. 
So uh, going back to the restaurant thing, man, you're talking about the page that you and Maggie have eat, drink, fish, and you, you want to try these recipes at home. Have you run into any chefs that didn't want to share the uh, recipe with you? Or are no. they all pretty cool about it? No, they're all pretty cool. Like we'll, we'll get to talking to them at the restaurant and we tell them that we're going to blog about their food. And usually the chef walks over to our table and huh. give us a rundown of the deal. And then the last one we went to was at this place in Florida that this guy was like in charge of the fish for three different big restaurants around the Orlando area. And he brought us back there. He's like, I just got some fresh fish and I'm about to go cut it up. And then he, he had it all laid out on the table and he showed me how he cuts it and everything and nice. how he everything. Uh, the new, the, the new, I guess my new favorite on how to cook fish is uh, he would, he would prep this fish and you, the key to, to pan searing fish is having the fish really dry before you pan sear it. So mm. if you have like a lot of water on the fish and you try to pan sear it, that water turns into steam and you don't get the crispiness to the pan seared fish that you want to. So you literally take that fish and you put it on like paper towels and you and you try to like squeeze it and get all the water off of it. And if you can let it dry overnight in the refrigerator, you want that fish meat to almost be sticky um, because it has no moisture on it at all. And then you don't season it until right before you cook it. So you get a really hot skillet and then you take that piece of fish that's totally prepped. And then, uh, and then you put, all he did was put salt on it. Just seasoned yeah. it with salt and then seared it in a pan with some butter. Now the butter is not the same thing as water, you know, so it's doing the searing part. It just because at first it was hard for me to comprehend, comprehend. I'm like, do I want my fish totally dry throughout the cooking process? No, you just want it free of water uh, so it doesn't steam on you. And um, and you just put it in a pan with some butter and you sear it and then it keeps an oven at 550 degrees. And uh, and then you finish it in the oven. So you're probably talking about a couple minutes on each side and then you finish it in the oven for about three or four minutes and then it's done. And then... And then take that piece of fish and then you put it over a, a bed of vegetables. He had zucchini and squash that were seared already. And he, and he put the fish on top of the zucchini and vegetables. And then he layered the bottom of the bowl with some white miso soup. Oh, Dang, you are yeah. fancy, Gerald. I and like it. Pictures of that dish on our, on our page, Eat, Drink, Fish. Anyway, you can go see the image of that. And, uh, and it, when I, when I heard about it, it's like, okay, you know, I'm very picky about eating fish in a restaurant, but this one dude was really, really good at it. And we came home, we've already cooked it twice since then. Uh, really easy to do. And, uh, and if you have a really premium piece of fish like scamp grouper, then, uh, you don't hide it by frying it, uh, covering it with sauces and stuff like that. You get to actually enjoy that piece of fish. Makes sense. I was go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, we can't see each other, so normally we're like raising our hand so we don't speak over each other. But uh, we can't see each other for right all. now, so we're, <laughs> we're struggling with that. But so you go ahead first, Nick, with your question. Yeah, Joe, do you like to cook fish whole very much, or do you usually fillet them out? So I just got into that too. Uh, some a big thing with these saltwater fish is, um, and it may be the same with with some freshwater fish, but. Um, leaving the skin on yeah and and so i meant to do it the other day i went out and caught some uh, mangrove snapper nice those are delicious yeah i caught some real small ones that were only like a pound and a half and um and i wanted to leave the head on and scale them and leave the skin on and then you gut them of course and um and then you you want to cut some lines in the meat and and then you could stuff the belly cavity with uh with with herbs and vegetables and then you could tie it all up with a string and throw it on your Traeger or Smoky Mountain pit or whatever. And um, Green Mountain. Green Mountain. Yeah, buddy. Green Mountain. <laughs> good. Dude, I that's probably personally I mean I love fried anything, right? I'll eat fried fish, fried Oreos, I don't care. I love fried. But I I love whole fish. I think that's probably uh, my first pick, man. I love it. It's delicious. I, I'm sure you'll dig it, man. Put one of those mangrove snappers that way, and uh, there's no turning back. Yeah, Nick. What was? Go ahead. What What was your uh, recipe that you did, Nick, with that striper? Yeah. So exactly how Gerald laid it out, right? Like you you scale it, um, leave the head on, 
um, obviously leave the skin on and then you just gut them. And, uh, basically from that point forward put some slits on the uh the sides of them right like where the fillets are cut i usually cut x's but you can do whatever you want Uh, and then the the same thing correct yeah through the skin um into the meat and then um what i did is i you know i cut some lemon rings real thin right so just take a lemon slice it real thin and then i just i did thyme uh rosemary and then a little bit of garlic and onions and popped it in the cavity. And then I went to the oven with it. I didn't get my green mountain on cause I've been moving and I'm grillless, but uh, I did a hot oven, you know, 450 degrees for like 15 minutes. And, uh, it was great. You know, and it was interesting too, cause that striper has a bloodline in it and that can get real funky real fast. And, uh, so I was a little skeptical on that fish and for whatever reason, I don't know if because it was from the day before that I had caught it or if maybe the, um, the fish are just that much healthier this year than normal, but the, the bloodline you wouldn't have even known except for the fact that the meat was just, you know, kind of that dark gray color. It was, it was phenomenal. Cool. Something about with skin on and bloodline, it, it, it goes, it kind of goes away. I learned that with, huh. with big red fish. Okay. So a real popular redfish dish that we have down here is, is on the hat. And you could probably do the same thing with the, with the striper is you just, when you fillet the fish, you leave the scales on in the skin on one side, and you just cut the rib cage off of it, and you just yeah. have a fillet with the skin and the scales on. You put the scales down on the barbecue pit, and huh. then you cover the top of the fillet with whatever you want to season it with. You could put onions and lemon, and a lot of times I just like to baste it with um, Italian dressing and butter, and and it that the scale side of a fish acts like a plate basically and then okay you scoop it off of the grill you put it on some sort of platter platter or whatever and then you can kind of just take it off in sections and serve it or people can just eat it straight off the skin with a fork yeah but you could take a fish with a big bloodline and do that and it's like holy crap i was thinking this was going to be terrible yeah almost don't even take and then you can kind of pick around the blood if you want the blood right Dude, I'd love to catch a big redfish. That's the one handicap out here is that we just, you know, those fish were that I caught in eight were three, four pounds at the biggest. And even that was a little bit of a handful to get in the oven. But man, when you're next to saltwater like that and you have Pandora's box of fish to eat, oh, it's the bomb, man. That's cool. And you can talk about sharing fillets like that. That's a, that's pretty sweet. Not common for us sometimes. Yeah, we're pretty limited out here, you know, uh, it, when it comes to in a lot of the country, just not being near the ocean, not having access to like even even just like the crawfish factor. Crawfish are yeah. so good. But is there any way like how how could we get crawfish out west or up north during crawfish season? Gerald? Is there a way, dude, or, or, or do yeah. you know of a way? Yeah. So it's actually real common now to sh- to get that stuff shipped. Um, you know, I had a buddy that was. I was in the military when I lived in, I actually lived in California for a while and turned him on to the crawfish thing. He ended up buying him a pot and like twice a year, he would order two sacks of crawfish and they would get mailed to him in California. Nice. He's been doing that for a while now, but I think it's gotten more popular and more reasonable now. Uh, Jeff Crete called me the other day and Crete was wanting instructions on how to boil crawfish because he had ordered two or three sacks of crawfish for his own birthday he's like now how do i cook them <laughs> that's cool dude yeah J- uh, jeff is he's one of your salt water fishing kind of mentors now isn't he dude because he's been doing at it for a long time yeah i've been saltwater fishing my entire life that's where i started with saltwater fishing. i didn't know that yeah but i didn't really get into the uh uh, well, I've always offshore fished, but I've always gone with somebody else. It was always more or less a guided kind of deal, uh, even though my buddy may be the guide or whatever. But I was always just letting just I was just going through the motions and reeling in fish. Um, and then I went with Crete last year and they're more into tournament saltwater fishing where they go out and catch marlin and they commercial tuna fish. And they're they're hardcore. Um if y'all don't know anything about the tournament saltwater world, it's big. It's huge. Big money. money. Yeah. Big money. You talking about million dollar prizes and stuff. Um, so they they go out and they do that kind of stuff. And then at the same time, when I started going with Crete, I was also in the process of building my 32 foot contender that I have now. And um, and so then I realized, 
if you can go bass fishing with someone, they could take you bass fishing and say cash right there, and that's fun and all, but nothing's more satisfi satisfying than going out there on your own, finding the fish, developing the pattern, yeah. and executing the game plan. And, uh, and now the shoe's on the other foot. So now I'm the captain of the boat and I take a bunch of people out there and um, they're like, man, you don't want to reel in some of these fish? And I said, don't worry. Every single fish y'all catch is I, it's mine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, hey. You're reeling them in. <laughs> <laughs> and so I like driving the boat and using my electronics and stuff and trying to put people on fish. They have a great time reeling them in, and I get the satisfaction of seeing the boat succeed, and that's kind of what I get out of it. I think Josh win, and Rob right can connect there. with that too, right? That sounds a little bit like probably what you guys feel guiding, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. I think it's more it's more common in saltwater though. I went with a buddy out of uh, San Diego, and I had a, a heavy flipping stick with 20 pound line, and he was just ripping me for that. He's like, man, if you lose a fish, like it really mattered to him to get every single fish in the boat, <laughs> and it seemed it seemed more like a saltwater deal to me than anything because it's it's the whole boat, right, versus just an individual. Yeah, and, yeah. The boat's a crew. It's a team. Yep. And uh, and everybody wants to see that fish box full of big tuna and all good to eat fish, you know, at the end of the day. The yep. difference when we go fishing with our buddies is we like when it's not a tournament, we like want our buddies to lose them and break off and get angry. <laughs> so we can make fun of them, right? <laughs> exactly, dude. You put the trolling motor on a hundred when someone's reeling one in, casting uh, over them. <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite. Uh, that's cool. Hey, Gerald, uh, dude, we could actually, we could talk to you forever, man, but, uh, tomorrow you and I are both headed up to, uh, Wisconsin to fish and events. So I know you got stuff to do. Um, do you guys have any other questions for Gerald before we uh, let him roll? Dude, I Not thank really. you for some tips, yeah. man. Yeah. We wish you good luck on your travels and, uh, the next Derby, go ahead and kick Josh's butt for us. We'd appreciate that, but, uh, nothing, man. <laughs> thank you for coming on. Yeah. No, uh, me and Josh are roommates. I don't know if you. If yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. But, uh, it's it's always good when at least a couple of guys in the house. There's four of us that stay together. At least a couple of us do good. It, it, we seem to alternate between uh, the success rate or whatever. But uh, it have we we haven't had a situation where all four of us did, went home without a check, huh? No, but it is hilarious, dude. You're right. Like, uh, we've been, we've been rooming together for two years and, um, we, we, uh, fish, uh, we have very different fishing styles and our successes come at opposite times. I mean, I, huh. uh, we've, we've both been in the cut together. I don't know, dude, we fish probably 15 tournaments. We've been in the cut together a hand, handful of times, but, uh, just as many times one of us does good and one doesn't. So it's funny, but uh, it works out good. I mean, we've got a great little group and, uh, and like Gerald talked about it, we're, we're totally spoiled with uh with just gerald and his girlfriend maggie come to all the tournaments and uh they are just they're great to stay with they feed us great and when it's time for me to cook like if i've got the next day off or something <laughs> i'm very self-conscious about it because uh it's uh like, I get, like takeout dude i get extreme anxiety having to cook for everyone else because it's just there's no way to compete with that but um yeah i'll just if it's ribeye or something easy it's hard to mess up but I don't go any deeper than that. <laughs> <laughs> we also got Roy. Roy Roy throws down on the grill. He, he can buys grill enough meat to feed twenty people, and it's just anywhere from tri tips to giant steaks to whatever. This dude just he goes overboard on the grill, <laughs> and uh, so between all of us, we eat good. We definitely eat good uh, at the tournaments. When it was just Elam and I before uh, Roy and Gerald, we would just live off rotisserie chicken and, um, you know, takeout. That was it. So Dude, things have gotten a lot better. Josh, I know we're trying to wrap, but it was Elam you said that made those like epic vegetable blended drinks that he would just like drink on for like five <laughs> days, right? <laughs> Dude, just... we get into town and he's backed off on this a little bit because now you can buy like that pressed juice that yeah. is just way easier but he would literally get everything in the produce section everything just get like everything like what like what like everything i'm telling you dude every like three different four different types of leafy green fruits just random stuff and he would put it all in a nutrient ninja and just uh and, and it would be like he'd have like a gallon of this and he would just drink 
every day for like a week. And by the end of the week, dude, it was so nasty. But uh, oh. he knew it was good for him, so he would just chug it, just pound it. Uh, <laughs> but dude, by like day four, five, and six, he's like, "You want some?" I'm like, no. Dude, you crack the <laughs> lid on that, you could probably smell it three, three hundred feet away. Yeah, probably <laughs> turn it into wine. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, I have to give a yeah a test. <laughs> yeah, he's not supposed to have alcohol on the boat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> his own freaking sangria. <laughs> That's funny, but dude, hey, thank you again, Gerald. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. And uh, again, guys, don't don't forget to check out his page, uh, Eat, Drink, Fish, and also his other personal uh, social medias. What is it, Gerald Spore Fishing? Yep, Gerald Spore Fishing. We just started. Uh, well, we have Instagram and Facebook, of course, and we just started uh, TikTok. Ooh, nice. And, and so it seems like that all the saltwater videos we post on TikTok is going viral. Um, and like we posted one other day and, and it already like, I don't know, it, within two days, it had over 30,000 views on it. And so Damn. people seem to love this saltwater stuff. So we're going to continue to bump, pump out that content. Uh, and then, of course, we also have a YouTube channel as well where we do a lot of educational stuff. So but the rest of it is typical. If you want something off the wall, then go to Eat, Drink, Fish and uh, watch us travel the country and teach you about different ways to to cook uh to cook your catch beautiful that's awesome man we're right on dude uh you guys have a great night and uh we'll see you later on all right thanks see you thanks again for listening to the show guys appreciate you guys tuning in every single week and uh i always say it but we also appreciate you guys sharing the podcast with your friends giving us the reviews on iTunes, the ratings, reviews, they go a long way for us. And um, again, just kind of helps us keep doing what we're doing with this thing. We really enjoy uh, recording every week and we can't wait to talk to you all next week. Have a great one.